The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show right here on today's News Talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to hang out with me. We have a great show. Connor Freeman, my pal Connor Freeman from the Libertarian Institute, is going to be joining us momentarily. It's always great when he stops by. Much to discuss, as always. There's never a dull moment. Uh, First, let's talk a little bit about Mr. Free Speech himself, Elon Musk. Uh, See, it's me bringing the Elon Musk story this time, not Adam. But, you know, there's a lot to talk about here. So earlier today, um, Twitter was all abuzz with the fact that um, suddenly, out of nowhere, multiple uh, left-leaning, I would say, um, large accounts on Twitter um, who have been very critical publicly of Israel were suddenly suspended. No warning, no um, reasoning. They were not contacted. Bam, accounts just gone. So uh, my pal Kyle Anslone, who was on the show yesterday, also from the Libertarian Institute, uh, wrote an article up. Um, so there is an update that all of them have been reinstated, at least that I was able to see. Uh, but this is what happened. So uh, as Kyle says, a group of journalists and political commentators with large followings were banned on X without notice. The owners of the banned profiles pointed to criticisms of Israel and Elon Musk. On Tuesday morning, the accounts of Alan McLeod, Ken Klippenstein, Rob Rousseau, The True Anon Podcast, Steve Monticelli, uh, and an anonymous account, Z Squirrel, were all banned on the platform owned by Musk. McLeod, who had over 200,000 followers on X posted on Telegram that the suspension came without warning. Quote, today, without warning or explanation, Twitter suspended my account at Alan R. McLeod. Uh, They told me to check my email for a reason, but no email has been forthcoming. I have never even remotely been involved in any controversy, been reported, been stuck in Twitter jail before. So I assume the real reason is political, especially as high profile leftist accounts like Rob Rousseau and Z Squirrel were also targeted today. End quote. And in a statement provided to the Libertarian Institute, McLeod said, quote, I'm deeply concerned about Twitter ba- banning a host of an influential anti of influential anti-war accounts today, including my own. It is a sign that Elon Musk's supposed passion for free speech <laughs> uh, might not be all that it seems, end quote. You think, Alan? Um, Musk acquired Twitter in October of 2022 and later renamed the platform X. At the time, he aimed to make Twitter a, quote, platform for free speech around the globe, end quote. You failed, my guy. In uh, one of his first acts as owner of Twitter, he allowed Ma- Matt Taibbi and other journalists to access the business communications of the company's leadership in the Twitter files. Taibbi exposed a coordinated effort between the government and Twitter to censor speech that countered the establishment narrative on the election, COVID, and the war in Ukraine. Um, However, as America has entered an election year, Musk own X is stepping up its censorship effort. Boy, is it ever. Um, So I'm I'm not going to read this whole article. It's a little bit longer. Uh, Kyle also um, uh, quotes Ken Klippenstein and a couple of the other accounts who uh, were pulled today. Uh, There is an update, though. So as I'm sure you can imagine, Twitter was on fire about this. Uh, especially in regards to Alan McLeod, at least in my circles. Uh, He is a really well-respected journalist. He is not um, known for starting Twitter feuds or being controversial on Twitter. His journalism is controversial because all good journalism should be, um, but he's not somebody who's out there trolling or, you know, starting a lot of uh, unnecessary nonsense on Twitter. So um, I think he's very respected. People were very upset about his, and by the way, he writes for Mint Press, um, if anybody's interested in checking out his work. Um, but so Elon was approached by 
numerous people, lots of big name accounts, Glenn Greenwald, a whole host of other people um, were contacting Elon on Twitter, asking him to uh, make sure that he fixed this issue. Um, to Glenn Greenwald, he used the excuse, um, this is what he tweeted to Glenn Greenwald, there are around 600 million active accounts on this platform. Mistakes are bound to be made at such a scale, but we try to fix them quickly. There will always be some false positives and false negatives, but we aspire to take corrective action rapidly. Mistakes. Sure, my guy. Not not the first time this has happened, by the way. Um, he also uh, responded to Jackson Hinkle, um, who also uh, tweeted at him, uh, and he said, uh, I will investigate. Obviously, it is okay to be critical of anything, but it is not okay to call for extreme violence, as that is illegal. And then in parentheses, he adds, apart from the quote-unquote UN exemption, where officials from countries recognized by the UN can say what they say at the UN. Uh, and then he says, for the record, I do not personally agree with your views. Nonetheless, the point of freedom of speech is allowing those whose views you disagree with to express their views. And this is, I find this to be incredibly interesting because as I've pointed out numerous times, um, there's a whole crap ton of high level Israeli officials, Zionist supporters, you name it, all over Twitter, blatantly calling for genocide, uh, blatantly calling for the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, posting video evidence of actual war crimes. That's all okay, but Alan McLeod can't write articles critical of Israel. He's going to get suspended for that. And then Elon Musk is going to pretend that that was a mistake. Um, and, you know, whoopsie, whoopsie-daisy. Come on, does anybody actually believe that? I, Elon Musk is not your friend. He's not a free speech savior. He's not here to uh, make sure that you can speak openly or freely about anything. He is a Zionist and he is going to continue to censor in aid of Israel. So um, I'm glad all of those accounts are back. Please go um, follow them, support them, share their work. I tweeted out numerous Alan McLeod articles myself today um, and I will continue to do so. And make sure you're following them all on Substack or Telegram or wherever else. Um, and follow anybody, anybody critical of Israel that you like and enjoy their work, go follow them elsewhere because uh, I feel like they're not long for Twitter, unfortunately. Um, okay, don't forget you can follow me over on Twitter for now uh, at Sarcasm Stardust. Check out my Substack. It's mistywinston.substack.com. There's a write-up for the guest of the day every day so you can find, follow, and support their work as well. And as a birthday gift, Andy came back and did all of the rest of this week for me. I'm very excited because it stresses me out. Um, and if you would like, you can shoot me an email at mistywinston at tntradio.live. Guest idea, show idea, question, whatever. Hit me up. I'll try to get back to you as soon as possible. Um, and by the way, if you miss your favorite TNT show or interview, you can listen back whenever you want, wherever you want. Super easy. You can visit the episodes tab on the TNT Radio website, which again is tntradio.live. Uh, and then we're also on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart, and TuneIn. Uh, so there's no reason for you to miss out on anything right here on today's News Talk. Getting straight to the facts. Enough with the lies. We need facts. This is today's News Talk Radio. TNT. All right. On Monday, the Pentagon said uh, that it was not presently intending to withdraw its 2,500 personnel from Iraq. Oh, man, how long have we been there? Uh, despite Baghdad saying last week that it would end the mission of the U.S.-led military coalition in the country. Here with the story joining me now is TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Holy cow, Adam. <laughs> Iraq? Really? All right. What's going on here, my friend? You remember them, right? I know there's been a lot of talk of other countries lately, but yeah, good old Iraq. Uh, yeah, 2,500 of our troops still there, plus 900 in uh, Syria 
Anyway, um, yeah, so Baghdad last week, um, I actually reported this on TNT, not on your program, however, but in case you missed it, Baghdad made an, an odd announcement saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're in the process of getting rid of all of the U.S.-led military coalition from our entire country. Uh, and then apparently now the United States is responding to that saying, whoa, whoa, hold on, buddy. That's news <laughs> to us. <laughs> That's basically what happened. Uh, hey, who calls the shots, Misty? You know, Team America, right? Uh, so, yeah, uh, Air Force Major General Patrick Ryder, uh, who has an incredibly long name uh, and title, uh, he told a news briefing. Um, you're going to love the reasoning for this. Quote, right now, I'm not aware of any plans. Uh, to plan for withdrawal, we continue to remain very focused on the defeat of ISIS's mission. That's right. End quote. Uh, it's all about ISIS, um, the Islamic State. Uh, he says that the U.S. forces are in Iraq at the invitation of its government. So we're getting some conflicting messaging here. Uh, Ryder said he was also completely unaware of any notification. I added completely, but he was unaware of any notification by Baghdad to the Department of Defense about a decision to remove U.S. troops. And he referred reporters to the United States State Department for any diplomatic discussions on the matter. What? He pulled a KJP? All right. Uh, <laughs> Prime Minister Mohammed Shia al-Sudani's office announced on Friday the moves to evict U.S. forces following a U.S. drone strike in Baghdad that was condemned by the government. The Pentagon said that the strike killed a militia leader who was responsible for recent attacks on U.S. personnel. Sudani's office released a statement saying a committee would be formed to, quote, put arrangements to end the presence of the international coalition forces in Iraq permanently. Wow. Sudani was quoted as saying in the statement, quote, we stress our firm position in ending the existence of the international coalition after the justifications for its existence have ended, end quote. Ah, oh, so they don't seem to think ISIS is a big deal, but we do. Uh, the strike from the United States on Thursday the day before this uh, uh, Sudani made the announcement, uh, this comes that came four years after another one in Baghdad that c killed a prominent Iranian general, triggering outrage among um, Iran aligned groups who demanded that the government end the presence in the coalition in Iraq. So we bombed somebody, somebody died and they said, all right, that's it. You're out of here. According to the news here, um, the strike was pre-authorized by the president, Joe Biden, alongside none other than U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. But that was just before Austin was admitted to a hospital on New Year's Day, where he remains, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, as I mentioned, the United States has also 900 troops in Syria, in addition to the troops that they've got out in Iraq. Uh, in this case, on a mission uh, that they say advises and assists local forces trying to prevent a resurgence of ISIS, uh, which in 2014 seized large parts of both countries before being, quote unquote, defeated. Uh, since the uh, Israel-Hamas thing began in October, the United States military has, no surprise here, been coming under attack. Uh, but it's been happening at least 100 times uh, in Iraq and Syria, which is uh, – I guess, uh, I mean, like, would, would we be attacked if we weren't there? Obviously not. Anyway, uh, but this was uh, done usually with a mix of rockets and one-way attack drones. Uh, Sudani has limited control over some Iran-backed uh, factions, excuse me, whose support apparently he needed to win power a year ago. 
and who now happened to form a very powerful bloc inside his governing coalition. And then, of course, last month, the United States also carried out retaliatory, retaliatory airstrikes in Iraq after a drone attack by Iran-aligned militants, which left one service member in critical condition and wounded two others. So we're fighting with other factions and groups inside Iraq. Uh, like, how would how do you think we would feel if, like, two warring countries decided to just have it? have a battle in our backyard. I, I think we would want them out, right? What do you think? Yeah, yes, yes. And thank you for pointing out that um, we wouldn't be getting attacked if we weren't there. We have no business being there. Uh, and yeah, we do stop troops in Syria, which I, I love the reasoning earlier that, oh, we're here because they asked us to be here. Well, Syria did not ask you to be there and you're there anyway, as if we care uh, about being invited. We do not care. We will come occupy your country. Uh, that's just what we do. Um, also, quick note on uh, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, which, by the way, Joe Biden just kind of lost him, had no idea where he was. Uh, he was in the hospital for a few days. Apparently, he has been since been diagnosed with prostate cancer. I guess that's the news out uh, now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, listen, we have no business being in Iraq. I think that the mixed messaging here where Iraq is very clearly stating that they want us out of their country. Well, we're like, no, it's fine. We're there's we're not leaving. We're just we're just going to hang out. That is so indicative of our general attitude in the world. Um, you know, again, we think that we are uh, the world's babysitter, that we have a right to be absolutely anywhere we want to be. It doesn't matter if you invite us or not. We're just going to come and hang out in your country. Um, and it, I, what, what I think is so interesting about this is that this region right now is very obviously, I mean, on a, a very clear breaking point. I mean, this is uh, it just continues to escalate. I mean, we're going to talk about it here in a little bit with Connor. Um, you know, you've got Lebanon getting involved more uh, heavily. Uh, you know, Iran has obviously uh, been kind of a hot button issue there. Syria. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole host of stuff that could potentially go wrong in this region right now. And so, you know, the idea that the United States wants to stay in Iraq is not surprising. I think that we want to have as many military options in the region as humanly possible. Um, but it's just to me, it's just so the American exception exceptionalism that it takes for a country to say, get out, and for you to say, no, thank you, we're going to stay, is just so absurd to me. But that's what we do, right? That's uh, that's the United States uh, military way. That's how we uh, that's how we work. So, But what do you think, Adam? I mean, this is, to me, I think it's, um, again, it's just, it's just, this is par for the course. This is our MO. But what do you think about this? This, this is funny because this reminds me of these stories. You, you know the stories that I'm about to mention because it pops up most usually on like conservative mainstream outlets, I'll just say. Uh, but this 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 idea that uh, the United States is facing an epidemic of like these scam artists who are squatters and they, they, they go inside people's homes and then they take <laughs> yes. over your home and then the homeowner yeah. can't even get them kicked out. Uh, that's what this feels like. We're we're not Team America World Police. We're Team America World Squatters, uh, and that's how I'm going to refer to the Empire from now on, Misty. It's hilarious to me. I love that. That's actually a great analogy because you're right. And those, to be fair, those stories are legit. Like that's a legit thing. It terrifies. Like I, I there's a whole host of stories where people have taken on roommates and then they just kind of take over your house or a whole other. Um, there's that frogging thing. I think that's what it's called or whatever. All of that stuff is very scary. Uh, but yes, that is we are the uh, we are the the king of squatters for sure. There's no question about it. Um, and it's just uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how firm Iraq's going to be with us if they're actually going to uh, put any pressure on us to get the hell out of their country. Um, we'll see how that plays out. But I, I, you're right. We are definitely 
nobody squats quite like the United States, uh, for sure. All right, Adam, thanks for bringing us this story. We will talk to you again tomorrow. As always, hang tight. We got Connor Freeman right after this on today's News Talk. TNT Radio's James Freeman. We have new revised figures from the Office for National Statistics showing that legal, that's not illegal, that's legal, net migration to the UK has witnessed one of the largest increases on record. Three quarters of a million additional people are now living in the UK in the space of just one year. A huge number that comes just three years after we left the European Union. Now, I didn't vote for Brexit um, because of immigration. I voted because of democracy, but millions did vote because they think too many people are coming into the country, which makes what the government has allowed to happen an absolute two fingers up to the people and democracy. Another example, if we needed another, of how the government does the exact opposite to what the people want and vote for. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. At first, like so many other women out there, I ignored my symptoms. A slight pressure on my chest, shortness of breath. I thought, I don't have time to be sick. I had a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. I'm so grateful to the American Heart Association. Their research helped save my life. I can enjoy life with my children, my grandchildren, and my friends. Please, listen to your heart. The only reason I'm here today is because I did. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNTradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. All right. As promised, our guest today is Connor Freeman. Uh, Connor is the assistant editor at the Libertarian Institute and also at antiwar.com. You guys know I love both of those organizations. I cite them very often here on the show. Uh, he also co-hosts the show Conflicts of Interest with our pal Kyle Anslone, which you can find on YouTube, Rockfin, and Odyssey, as well as all of the podcast platforms. Um, and you can follow Connor on Twitter at Freeman'sMind96. Connor, thanks so much for being here. Hey, thank you so much, Misty. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Obviously, lots to discuss. There's never a dull moment, as I said at the top of the show. So I wanted to actually start with an article that you wrote at the end of 2023 um, for antiwar.com. Again, everybody go check it out. Uh, it's titled UNICEF, uh, and the quote is, the deadliest year on record for Palestinian children in the West Bank. Uh, it continues by saying, attacks by Israeli forces and settlers have soared along with Tel Aviv's brutal bombing campaign in Gaza, bringing this year's total death toll to approximately 500 in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. So first of all, thank you for writing this article, I feel like everyone is focused almost entirely on Gaza for obvious reasons, not to discount that they need to be focused on Gaza. Uh, but the situation in the West Bank has also been escalating. Uh, you have settlers running amok with essentially uh, full imp impunity. Uh, they're often running with the aid and cover of the Israeli military, uh, murdering Palestinian citizens. Um, so talk about this report from UNICEF. I feel like this kind of uh, puts this situation into some perspective. 
Yeah, so this was Adele Coder, the UNICEF Regional Director for the Middle East and North Africa, and this is the UN, the United Nations Children's Fund, uh, known as UNICEF, and they were putting out this report, drawing attention to the fact that it's been the deadliest year for children. And already, it's important to note, but what you know, before, well before October seventh, we were reporting at the at the Libertarian Institute and AntiWar.com, and and you could see every time you read Middle East Eye and any of the reports coming from Al Jazeera, but what was going on in the West Bank or in Palestine for that matter, was that this was already one of the, well, last year, I should say now, was already one of the deadliest years on record for Palestinians. Um, you had more than 220 Palestinians who had killed been killed by Israeli forces and uh, settlers before the 7th, and many of those were, you know, dozens of them were children. Uh, and so one of the things that, you know, I noticed paying attention to the war as soon as it started was, you know, I think in the first I'd have to go back and double check, but it wasn't too long before the death toll in the West Bank after the 7th was in the 60s, like dozens and dozens of people were getting killed. One of the most infamous uh, examples of that um, that really motivated me to pay more attention to the West Bank was that three olive farmers were shot to death by settlers. And uh, the following day, the Palestinians were holding a funeral for these men. And the settlers returned to the funeral procession and shot to death a father and a son who were participating in the funeral procession. So it's that level of um, brutality and and you know ethno supremacist. I don't even know what the word to use is, but it's a it's a Nazi kind of barbaric attack on civilians and the the hatred was boiling over so much we saw multiple reports coming out of haaretz and elsewhere about how you know a lot of these ultra orthodox settlers were joining up into the idea into these like army um security teams uh who actually in fact were getting in there even if they had criminal records and these are like radical settler young men who are looking for a reason to kill Palestinian children. And so since the 7th, the death toll has just soared. I checked the Al Jazeera a live tracker earlier today, and it's almost to 350 people killed. In fact, let me double check how many of those are children. 84. So the number has gone up significantly since I wrote the article. Uh, but the point that they were making in the article is that, or excuse me, in the statement from UNICEF, they were saying that, look, 124 children, Palestinian children have been killed since the start of 2023. 20, 83 of the murders have taken place since the 7th. You have at least 576 children in, injured. Um, and so they were saying that this must not fade in the background of the current conflict, uh, that they, these children live in a constant feeling of fear and grief. Their lives are a nightmare. Many children report that fear has become a part of their daily life. Many are scared even walking to school or playing outside due to the threat of shootings and other conflict-related violence. UNICEF is extremely concerned about the right of children in the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, uh, to safety and protection, as well as their inherent right to life. And at the same time, the UN had put out a separate report covering overall the rapidly deteriorating human rights situation in the West Bank, calling attention, demanding that Israel cease its unlawful killings and bring an immediate end to the use of military weapons and means during law enforcement operations, the arbitrary detention and ill treatment of Palestinians. Of course, nearly 5,000 Palestinians have been rounded up and arrested since the 7th. Uh, and then I note in here a few different instances of particularly brutal raids. Uh, one in particular in Janine, there was a prolonged, we've discussed this before, but it bears repeating, of course, um, 
you know, there was this prolonged raid on Janine. Uh, Reese, there's another one that just took place this weekend where they killed, I believe, 12 people or 11 people, including, I think, seven in a single drone strike. And that's a relatively new development. You know, this year, Netanyahu has been, you know, carrying out airstrikes in the West Bank, which hadn't happened for, I believe, something like 15 years. And, um, of course, you know, Janine is the heart of, it's one of the very core of resistance in the West Bank. There's a lot of resistance factions there, and it's a very proud uh, city. Uh, and of course, the refugee camp there has been attacked so many times uh, just last year. Uh, and of course, it's continuing. But during this prolonged raid in Janine last month, they killed tw- the Israelis uh, forces, killed 12 people, desecrated a mosque, attacked ambulances as well as a hospital, and they fired tear gas near a preemie baby's ward. Uh, at the hospital. And so Doctors Without Borders actually put out a statement about this because a young boy who was 17 was shot to death in the uh, hospital compound. This is the Janine Governmental Hospital compound. So they actually said, since October 7, we have seen Israeli forces fire live bullets at the Khalil Suleiman Hospital, tear gas the hospital, block ambulances, humiliate and harass medical staff, and now shoot and kill someone in the hospital compound. And then I just note there was this great piece in 972 Mag in November about how in these rural areas around Hebron, the settlers are depopulating entire villages, you know, beating people uh, half to death and then threatening them to leave their homes. And then when they end up leaving their homes after they're robbed and, you know, take the take all their money that they have from, you know, whatever their business is, herding sheep or or what, you know, whatever it may be, they flee. And then in one particular instance, um, as these people are, they have no place to go and it's in the middle of the night. I mean, they'll come and attack you and your family and then threaten you with death if you don't leave. And then they'll come back later that night. And this happens a lot. But in this case, there was a horrible story where a, an old man was walking away from his family home with his family, fearing for their lives. They turn around, they see all these flames rising from their house because the settlers had burned his home down after they mm-hmm. robbed him for all of his money. And um, and a lot of these settlers, it's difficult for people to determine are they IDF or are they just wearing IDF uniforms? Um, but yeah. people are, like I said, being beaten, robbed, shot. And then you have these lockdown regimes as well, uh, where especially in the H2 area of Hebron, they talk about how, you know, mothers can't send their kids out to get food or water because they'll be shot. Yeah. And so they're like worried they're going to starve to death in the West Bank, not just Gaza. So it's... And, and, you know, honestly, as far as Israel is going to try and provoke a, war, a wider war, whether it's with Hezbollah or Iran uh, or expanding further into Syria, whenever that kicks off, we're going to see massacres, I imagine, that are even now hard to fathom going on in yes. the West Bank. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And we should also point out a couple different things. One, um uh, these settlers are being armed. Like they're they're being given weapons. So this is being fully encouraged and they're also doing it um you know uh, with the full backing of the Israeli military and in fact often the Israeli military is standing nearby or in fact aiding them. Um and also uh the H- Hamas has no presence in the West Bank. They keep trying to pretend as if this is about ending Hamas. There is no Hamas in the West Bank. So um th- that throws that 
a whole narrative into a tailspin because that is just not reality. Um, and it's I'm so glad that you wrote this article and I'm so glad that we're talking about it today because as I mentioned, um, it, and obviously people should be focused on Gaza. That is where the bulk of the brutality is taking place. But uh, we need to pay more attention to what's happening in the West Bank because I feel like that's floating so far underneath the radar um, that I, I don't even know if most people are even aware that there is uh, you know violence taking place in the West Bank. So I'm super glad that we're talking about it today. So let's take a quick break. We got to get some headlines. We'll be right back here on today's news talk. Turn on the news. I have a little news flash. TNT Radio For News. TNT, this is James O'Neill. Former President Donald Trump appeared at a federal courthouse in Washington, marking his first visit in months, as his legal team presented arguments to an appeals court. In the UK since 2020, approximately half of the asylum seekers claiming to be minors have been identified as adults, with some even being over 30 years old. Ukrainian authorities have asked citizens to conserve energy, warning that a surge in consumption during a spell of bad weather is putting too much strain on the national power grid. The common housefly. Caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Oh. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNT Radio. Live. All right, we're here with Connor Freeman, and we're talking about Israel-Palestine. So I also wanted to ask you about, uh, you mentioned there that there is a very real and likely possibility that this is going to explode into a broader regional conflict. I think we're really probably already there. We're starting to see uh, different scenarios play out, different uh, you know things kick off. Um, and I mean, we even have officials in the United States that are warning us. There's a great article out from a couple days ago, uh, January 7th, uh, from the great Dave DeCamp at antiwar.com. Officials warn Biden is leading the U.S. into a major Middle East war. No question about it, right, Connor? I mean, there is absolutely no question about it. I think that, uh, and I want to talk to you about the Netanyahu aspect of this and why he benefits from it personally. But um, uh, the the idea that the United States is giving such blanket support to Israel in this situation, um, really no holds barred. There's no conditions. Hey, committed genocide. It's fine. We'll keep sending you weapons. Uh, there's really no question that at this point, Joe Biden is leading us into yet another Middle East conflict, right? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I've been concerned about this for a very long time because uh, Trita Parsi is one of my favorite analysts on anything and everything to do with Iran, and he does such great work. He writes in The Nation and Responsible Statecraft as well, and he's been warning. There's a great piece. I believe Ken Klippenstein wrote it for The Intercept at the beginning of maybe April of last year, where he talks about these major drills that were being carried out with the U.S. uh, and the Israelis and just myriad drills that the Israelis were carrying out preparing for a multi-front war uh, this year. And this came, you know, concurrently with the fact that Israel was stepping up its strikes on Syria. They had, you know, Yoav Gallant, you know, boasted, I think in May that, you know, we've doubled the airstrikes in Syria. And I don't even think that was true because it for years and years, Israel has been bombing Syria every week virtually yeah. every week. Like it's unusual if they go two weeks without a, without some strike in Syria. And it's usually targeting you know, civilians, civilian infrastructure. Um, they, com- they claim they're always targeting Iranian military targets, but that's not usually the case. I mean, that's a great cover story. And they usually maintain a, a, a policy of ambiguity about those strikes, but regardless, they had, they had struck, uh, Syria, I believe something like, um, 
you know, almost 30 times before the seventh, maybe 25, something like that. And so one of the points that Trita had been making, and I was covering a lot of these drills as well at the time for the Institute, is that, you know, Biden was has been more deferential to Israel in this administration than Trump, than Obama, certainly, and even than Bush, W. Bush. And what that really meant, the way it manifested itself was, so as a, the U.S. in they waited until April of 21 to re-engage with Iran in these indirect talks in Vienna. So when that happened, Israel attacked an Iranian cargo ship in the Red Sea when they announced that they were going to return to talks. When the talks actually began a week or two later, they carried out a, a covert strike on the Iranian uh, Natanz uh, nuclear facility, which is their main center for building centrifuges, which is just insane. I mean, people don't even like the attacking nuclear power infrastructure, which yeah. could cause a, a catastrophic environmental and not let alone what would happen to the population there, um, effects and, and, and disasters as a result of these attacks, which, you know, especially throughout 2021 and 2020 were going on at a rapid rate. And of course, always supported by the U S either tacitly or otherwise. And so Biden was, there was, you know, Biden's week, Biden's week on China, or whatever he was letting Israel, you know, yeah, they come out and they say things like, well, Iran's racing for a nuclear weapon anytime those talks get restarted. But what mm -hmm. kept happening was, you know, you might get Bill Burns to come out and say, no, that's not true. Or they they quietly mention, but nobody really covers it in the mainstream press that, you know, in our nuclear posture review and our national defense strategy, the U.S. admits that Iran is not seeking a nuclear weapon, nor do they fucking, nor do they have one. And so, which is stuff that that's common knowledge for anybody who isn't completely propagandized by the corporate press in the United States. But what the main difference was with Biden was Biden was telling them, if you attack Israel, and Blinken said this many times, and this goes back to even August of 21, that if you attack Israel, we got your back. If you attack Iran, I, sh I, I meant to say, uh, Israel, we got your back. Yeah. Green light. And Sullivan gave a speech like that, I believe, to the Washington Institute for Near East Policy last year as well. There have been multiple statements from the Biden administration, including from Tom Nides, the ambassador to Israel. Uh, and we had the Biden administration just told them, like, you will go ahead, do it. We will, we will back you. And that is something that Obama, Trump and Bush had not done. And so as we're seeing in this war where Biden just refuses to call for a ceasefire to you know, no longer play this role of Israel's protector and guardian at the UN Security Council when these resolutions come up for a ceasefire. You know, the two most important things he can do is to cut military aid or condition it heavily, or like I said, vote correctly on these ceasefire resolutions at the Security Council, which would pave the way for international sanctions. And as a libertarian, I'm not a fan of sanctions. Like, it, but but honestly, I whatever it takes to stop this war, the international yeah. community has to do. I'm for it. I'm, I'm not going to oppose it. Um, right. And so, but Biden is not doing that. And in the meantime, we know from these U.S. officials that Netanyahu, the polling that's coming out shows that 15% of the population in Israel as rapidly favor, as quite frankly, I think it's, it, it's not a stretch to say that population is, is like on a mass level psychotic because I mean, they do support this war wholeheartedly. And that's not yeah. me saying that. that's Gideon Levy and Haaretz uh, talking about how there is, he's never seen a war that Israel has fought like this, that has 100% support from the public and that he's disgusted by his own country for this. And so, but 
they do blame Netanyahu for his policies of supporting Hamas for years and years as a way to avoid ever negotiating a two-state solution and for all the um, missed opportunities to protect his own civilians uh, on the attack. I mean, there's a lawsuit against Shin Bet, Mossad, the Defense Ministry, and the IDF right now uh, for effectively allowing the attack to happen. And so 15% of the population wants Netanyahu to stay after the war is over. But put differently, that means 85% of the country wants him out. And so, and he was already facing corruption trials and that's one of, and his judicial overhaul was a way which caused all these protests. He goes, Israelis don't give it, they don't care about the Palestinians' human rights, but any threat to their pseudo, you know, democracy, that is something that'll get them out into the streets. And so he was already in hot water for that, which is one of the reasons why I thought he was going to provoke a wider war in the Middle East much sooner than he actually has. But we see these targeted assassinations. They just killed three more uh, 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 Hezbollah members in three drone strikes today. Uh, They've killed the deputy head of the Hamas Politico Bureau in a strike in Beirut, which they haven't uh, carried out an airstrike in Beirut since the 2006 war with Hezbollah. And they've attacked, they killed the top Iranian commander in Syria in a, a neighborhood outside Damascus. And so you see them attempting to draw the United States into this war. Now, there's different reasons for why they attack these various officials. But the most critical one, I think, I would say is, first of all, they got the top Iranian commander who was facilitating arms transfers to Hezbollah. So that might have been a way to throw Hezbollah off balance for a major expansion into southern Lebanon. But they also killed the, like I said, this Hamas official who was the deputy head of the political bureau who was instrumental in the previous hostage negotiations that saw more than 100 Israeli hostages released. So that's a really clear message that they have no interest in getting the hostages out. And when they say, you know, our policy is to eradicate Hamas and demilitarize and de-radicalize population as, you know, that's that's a crazy thing to say about an occupied population that we yes. want to cripple them so that they can no longer ever resist us ever again. I mean, as if they weren't already crippled, right? I mean, as if they weren't already being held in an open air concentration camp with no ability to uh, feed themselves, let alone defend themselves. So, yeah. And I think that that, you're absolutely right. I think that uh, Netanyahu is looking for a way to pull the United States in. And frankly, I think the United States is looking for a way to allow themselves to get pulled in. Uh, And I want to we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, We're going to take another quick break. But I think that there there's like this desperate attempt to like dance on this fine line of um, making sure that it is clear that we're giving unconditional support to Israel while also trying to pacify uh, the American population with, oh, but we, you know, humanitarian rights and international law and we're all, you know, all of that stuff. I think there's a very delicate dance happening right now in the United States. Uh, But let's take a quick break. We're going to be right back here on TNT. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands, heal our waters, and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. But every day we lose more of the places we love, and we urgently need to save endangered lands, waters, and wild species. The actions we take today will determine the tomorrow we leave to our children and grandchildren. The water they drink, the air they breathe, the beauty they experience. 
To learn more about how you can help protect and conserve our beautiful world, visit nature.org today. Hi, I'm Abel. I often forget to mention that he's an amputee because Abel will try any activity he can. My arm helps me with basically everything. He doesn't see what he can't do, he sees what he can do. Yeah, okay. this is helping. The War Amps has just given him the ability to do all the activities every kid can do. When you donate to the War Amps, you help kids like me. Thank you! You're with Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT. All right, we are here with Connor Freeman from both antiwar.com and the Libertarian Institute, which you can check out at libertarianinstitute.org. Please go support. I love both of them. They're fantastic. I read both every single day. Um, and also, by the way, I just wanted to mention to uh, Connor mentioned there very briefly Netanyahu's uh, support for Hamas. That's not a conspiracy theory. A lot of people are like, that's not true. It is true. And in fact, Connor and Scott Horton have a fantastic, very lengthy, very detailed article out about that um, over at antiwar.com. Um, and it just goes through all of the different examples and evidence. Um, including direct quotes from Benjamin Netanyahu himself about the ways that he has been uh, supporting both politically, financially, you name it, uh, Hamas over the years. So uh, definitely something you would want to check out. That is a fantastic article. Um, okay, so we were just talking there um, a little bit about um, how it, you know it's very likely that Israel is attempting to um, you know kind of broaden this conflict out, and I think that there's no question about it. And actually, Kyle and I, Kyle Anslow and I, have been speaking about this really since uh, this whole thing kicked off. Um, where, as you just mentioned, Netanyahu prior to October 7th was in big trouble on various different fronts. There was the corruption stuff that he was going through, the judicial thing that was happening just before October 7th. Um, and so he was in real trouble. And we know that historically speaking, anytime a world leader, a president, whatever is in trouble, uh, a good way to stay in power is start a war. Um, and so I think that he benefits tremendously personally, politically speaking, um, by uh, this thing continuing and, and broadening out. And so I think that that's almost certainly what he's trying to do. Um, and as I mentioned, I think that there's a very um, a, a very real case to be made that the United States is also looking for a way to allow themselves to be dragged into this situation. And I think that that's uh, borne out from various different ways. And I think that one of those ways in, in particular is um, the, as I mentioned, the delicate dance that is being uh, done here in the United States, the way that we are very clearly offering unconditional support to Israel. We've said that there will be no conditions whatsoever on military aid that we're sending, um, but we're also trying to <laughs> speak out of both sides of our mouth and pay fealty to the fact that we care about civilian lives. And, uh, you know, we just had a bunch of people, um, uh, YL Dadud's um, son was just killed, and we had a bunch of people, including Antony Blinken, lamenting about the loss of another life and the loss of a journalist and all of this stuff. Meanwhile, we're providing the weapons that are killing these people. Um, and there's a great article out um, from Caitlin Johnstone uh, that talks about one of these uh, uh, instances where um, just recently we admonished Israeli officials for um, speaking openly and plainly about their intentions for ethnic cleansing. Um, and we it and in this I think what's great about Caitlin is in this article she just uh, she likens it to empty scolding and that is essentially what it is. It's nothing more than a finger wag. Um, it's just uh, essentially um, you know. Uh, we're again just paying fealty to the idea that we actually care at all whatsoever for the people of Palestine, for civilian casualties, for humanitarian rights, any of that stuff. And that's what I think is uh, it, they're trying to walk this dance where we can, um, you know, pretend as if we care while also pushing forward into this conflict. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And one of the things is, you know, it smote Bezalel Smotrich, the finance minister who has this special position in the defense ministry, where it makes him effectively the governor of the West Bank. And he's in charge of settlement construction and all this, um, which they've been setting records for construction last year. Uh, which is another massive provocation in the region. It was already making these Abraham Accords deals unpopular, not to mention all the increased raids in the West Bank and these, like, for instance, what they did to Jeanine in the summer, uh, where they tore up the roads, the electricity, the water, and brought in, a th- I think, a thousand troops and 150 armored vehicles, and they carried out a drone, you know, drone strikes. Um, and so, you know, Smotrich isn't easy because he says these bombastic things that frankly so many israeli officials do but because yeah. you know he's they go well you know itmar ben gavir is radical the de- national security minister which is true he's a he's a follower of meyer kahane uh who you know this these are effectively terrorist groups uh the kahanas and that's even acknowledged by the state department that his original party the cock party is not even allowed to exist anymore and but you know, they're scapegoats, really. There's this great piece up on antiwar.com today uh, from Haaretz, um, and it's the archive version, so people can read it even if they don't have a subscription. And so, you know, it's like there's some committee in the Knesset uh, for, you know, what victory and sh- should look like after the war. And you just see these officials, these members of the Knesset and others going, um, you know, we're going to eliminate everything in North Gaza. We're going to come in there. We're going to build more settlements. We're going to name all the streets after our heroes. We're going to turn, uh, you know, we're, it's going to be, uh, uh we're going to expand and build beautiful cities. And we're going to, it's basically just going to show the whole world. They said that we're going to show the whole world what it looks like when you, when you mess with Israel. And so the idea is to send a message. In fact, there was something about this in the times Aaron Mate wrote about this recently where U S officials are saying, you know, basically admitting that this war has nothing to do with self-defense, um, that it's about reassuring uh, Israel's quote-unquote aura of power because this air of invincibility was punctured severely on October 7th for a ragtag group, a stateless militia with no army, no air force, no navy, no air defenses, nothing to break through the, you know, most their their sur- whole surveillance system. And, you know, Gaza is the most surveilled plot of land in the world and to break through these, you know, to breach their security uh, fence and everything else and to go in and carry out these attacks. It makes Israel look weak in the region. So they have to commit a genocide to prove to everybody that we mean business. And this is what they've been doing to Gaza for a very long time. I mean, even in Operation Cast Lead, the idea was to reestablish deterrence and to show everybody. It's it's the logic of it is insane. It's like saying, I got beat up by a guy at a bar. So I came back, you know, the following week with a, a small child and just beat him to death in front of everybody at the bar to show that I can, I'm still tough. Like it, it's crazy, but this is what the American government, this is how they think. And so the idea that, I mean, you hear these American officials speaking to these uh, publications like the Post, and uh, like the Huffington Post and the Washington Post saying, look, the DIA in the Post, they say this DIA assessment that they have recently shows that Israel will get its clock cleaned if they go up to, if they fight Hezbollah. 
And because they're already way overstretched, they're not winning in Gaza against Hamas. They're just killing a lot of civilians and making so much of the strip uh, uninhabitable. Uh, you know, it looks real tough when you displace two million civilians and kill ninety percent civilians and bomb their orchards and their greenhouses and their and their fields and their mosques and their shelters and their schools and their hospitals uh, and their homes. Uh, but when you actually have to go up, you know, in in close combat with a group, a resistance group that really wants to defend their people you know israel doesn't do so well in those instances and it's you know it's telling because you know as um i think it was um oh it was karen kwiatowski who was saying recently that just because these israeli soldiers are enlisted doesn't mean they're war fighters you know they might be used to patrolling in neighborhoods in the west bank and beating up little kids and old women but they don't know how to fight a faction like an, a resistance faction like hamas uh, that fights in close quarters and has very you know tried and true strategies for dealing with israel on the ground and we can see in a lot of the videos that hamas is putting out where you know they have the red arrow and everything and they yeah. just you know the israelis are just like feckless in a lot of these instances they're much better at just killing innocent people and so so if they go up against Hezbollah, which is battle hardened to the nth degree from their operations in Syria against Israel's backed proxies, the proxies that Israel was backing along with the U.S. and our other partners, Al Qaeda and ISIS, you know they're ready to go, and they're and they've significantly improved their missile and rocket capacity, uh, the the strength of the weapons, the precision of the weapons since the 2006 war. This is not the Hezbollah of 2000, as Ramsey Baroud said. This is not the Hezbollah of the 1980s or 2000 yeah. or 2006. And uh, so I think it's very clear that Netanyahu wants to drag the United States into this, and these targeted assassinations are uh, play a big part in that. You know, I neglected to mention that in throughout 2022, Israel was carrying out drone strikes in Iran and more and more attacks on their nuclear program, but also an extensive assassination program or assassination campaign, I should say, against scientists and military figures. And again, this was something that the Biden administration did nothing to constrain. They didn't ever publicly condemn it. It was all done with a tacit nod of approval from the United States. And so, you know, it really does say something about our political system because you know, to your point, Misty, I think that Biden choosing to expand this war or doing nothing to stop its escalation or call for a ceasefire or anything like that is the worst political calculation perhaps of my lifetime, because I think this is actually a very different situation for the American people. I think that if American troops start getting killed in Iraq and Syria, we're not going to call for blood against Khatib Hezbollah and the Ayatollah and, you know, Hezbollah or the Houthis for crying out loud. I think that the American people are going to be calling, well, they're going to be calling for the uh, overthrow of the Biden regime, whether at the polls or, or otherwise, because we, we have the American people do not support this war in Israel. I mean, the polls that are coming out are showing that even 50 percent of Republicans, more than 50 percent in some cases, want a ceasefire to be called. They want to condition aid to Israel. It's well over that with the Democrats. I mean, you see Biden's own staffers telling him you're committing a genocide and putting out open letters like that, not to mention all these different political appointees in the FBI and the Justice Department and the State Department saying, no, you're committing genocide. We have to stop. We have to call for a ceasefire. This is apartheid this is murder and so you know his it, it just looks completely you know 
dis divorced from reality on the ground of what the American people's sentiment is. You saw what happened in that church in South Carolina where Dylan Roof carried out that massacre. Now, it was disgusting to see those people erupt in cheers going four more years. But I, it might have been, if not now, that led the protest. I'm not sure. It might have been one of the other Jewish groups. But they got up and they demanded that he call for a ceasefire. And they said, you have the blood of 20,000 and 22,000 Palestinian civilians on your hands. And, you know, they go ceasefire now, ceasefire now. And they get dragged out by these security forces, you know, the security team. And, uh, you know, and then Biden says, oh, well, you know, I appreciate your passion. Uh, I've been doing my best to try and get Israel to uh, rein itself in and ultimately get out of Gaza significantly or something or other. But as Daniel Larison was saying, that is on its face such a lie. The American yes. people despise this man and this administration, and they know he's like half dead. I mean, it truly is. <laughs> yeah. It it's scary having a president because we all know they're all puppets, and you know, I right. think Trump was a great demonstration of that for everybody who had any kind of you know uh inklings that well maybe i mean maybe the president really does hold all this power but you could see that like no and i'm not saying he had great intentions either but a lot of the things that we might have supported like pulling out of syria i mean how google it times of israel syria israel says no you're not leaving syria so i guess trump didn't you know they have to answer to he has to answer to sheldon adelson and benjamin netanyahu before he has to answer to the american people and by yes. the same token biden will he already will lose, I'm guarantee, unless they do something drastic to steal the election this year. But if he expands this war, then he could be done before then. Um, but it's scary that the American people are so against this and do not want another war and American boys coming home in body bags and flag draped coffins. Uh, and it's the last thing we want after Ukraine, after this war on Gaza. I don't even think the American people have the stomach for taking on China, which is the stupidest thing they could possibly do. But they were all amped up for it, even up to uh, last year. Um, but, you know, he he has to answer the Israel lobby. He's Israel's yes. man in Washington. He's received more money from the Israel lobby than any other senator in our history. And that is is a sad comment on the American political system that the Israel lobby and Tel Aviv and what Netanyahu thinks and Netanyahu's own political uh, concerns weigh much more heavily on the minds of our top diplomat, our defense secretary, our president. I mean, this is just... And the Congress, I mean, God, they're, they're so the, the, nothing matters to them more than getting $14 billion to Israel so that they can continue this slaughter. Let's see if you can kill 50,000 here in the next couple of months. Let's try and get it up as high as possible. You know, wipe them out. We support Israel. You know, Fetterman yeah. draping himself in the flag and just Ugh. completely um, flouting the fact that they do not serve um, the American people or American interests, but the interests of the most notorious apartheid state in the world. And yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Th and that's a great point too. I think it, you're right. If, if nothing else, this lays completely bare that your government does not work for you. It never has. Uh, and the idea that we have, uh, this is not new either. This We've been giving nearly $4 billion a year to Israel for a very long time. We have been providing for them militarily and financially for a very long time. And people need to start asking themselves why that is. Why? Are, and I, I mean, listen, Robert Kennedy came out and pretty much just said, it. he's like, yeah, it's a military outpost for the United States. That's essentially all that Israel is. It was created for that reason. Uh, 
Um, it was just meant to give the West a foothold in uh, in the Middle East. Um, and that is why we protect it so heavily. But the idea that our um, elected officials, there's millions of people in the streets of the United States of America actively protesting against this genocide, and they do not care. And they are not going to care because you do not have billions of Israeli lobby money. Uh, and when Ilhan Omar said it's all about the Benjamins and people gave her all that crap, she was right. She was telling the absolute truth. Um, and this, I think, just, just really, uh, it's just made it all that more apparent. And so, uh, yeah, I think that it is, it, it just, it disgusts me. It disgusts yeah. me that we have- Robert F. Kennedy um, Jr., Mr. Israel First is our anti-war yes. candidate, just like right? last time with Trump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's Same the peace guy. So disgusting. Yeah. He's so disgusting. Like that guy is just such a creep. Um, and the idea that he's trying to pretend as if he is anti-war or peace in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And the idea that anybody's buying it, it blows my mind, but it's just gross. He's just gross. He's, uh, they all are, but he is just, he's particular. Him and Nikki Haley, I think, are the two most disgusting at this point. Um, him more so because he is um, uh, very actively pretending to be something he's not. And she's just being exactly who she is. And that's gross. Um, I just saw a clip hey. recently um, that he was saying the children of Gaza, they're all raised to be serial yeah. killers. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. they're very pampered too, Connor. They're very pampered. Oh, yeah. I don't know pampered if you know. They're very killers. pampered. Pampered and he goes, killers. He says to Crystal Ball, what would you do if you were Israel? Like, And I love that when Blinken says the same thing, like any country in this situation would act this yeah. way. Yeah, like anybody could find themselves in this predicament where you have a, a rowdy population in your open air My question is, camp. what would you do if you were Palestinian? That's my exactly. question. Okay, Connor, unfortunately we're out of time. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. I appreciate you as always. Please check out Connor on antiwar.com and the libertarianinstitute.org. Um, I'll be back tomorrow with another show for you. As Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now, and don't go anywhere. Timothy Shea is right after this on TNT.